Well, good morning. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. I hope you're excited about it. Amen. Okay, yeah, you got to wake up there a little bit. Let's open those eyelids just a little bit, okay? Because we're going to start off this morning. We're going to be singing about our hope in life and death while we're here, even on into eternity. You know, that Jesus Christ is our only hope. And we're going to worship him with that in mind this morning. Let's all stand. Christ, our hope in life and death. A little more piano, please. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our hope?
hope in Christ this morning. I hope he is in your life. You may be seated. Thank you. What a blessing to stand before you and to tell you what a blessing Grace Community Church has been to the Cooies for the past two and a half years that my wife was bedridden. You just don't know how I could feel your prayers and your support and your love. I have bragged on Grace Community Church for how many years? And it's wonderful to stand before you and know that Mary Jo and I were so loved. Thank each of you that were able to come out <clears throat> to the visitation and the funeral. I know many of you were providentially hindered, and that's all right. But I really, from the bottom of my heart, I really want to thank you. Mary Jo loved this church. I was sharing with someone this morning, we went to 13 different homes over the last 20, 25 years, counting Springville Road, that she got to hear the word, and got, I got to see her grow and grow, even get her own Bible. It was just such a, such a blessing to meet in those homes and know <clears throat> that we were loved and supported and cared for. The Lord gave me many, many opportunities when I was in the hospital with Mary Jo those <clears throat> 11 days and night, sleeping right beside her on that couch, on that cot, my back killing me. <laughs> Couldn't wait to get back in my own bed. But I was telling Bill just a while ago, the Lord just gave me opportunity one-on-one -on -one to share with people. And <clears throat> it was absolutely wonderful. Nina Slack, she called me on a Wednesday morning and said, Tony, I want you to leave the house in the morning, take off and do something. I said, no, 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 I'm all right. No, I want you to take off and go somewhere. I said, okay, I'm going fishing. And the next morning at 5 o'clock, I was on the lake with a friend. And I got back to the hospital about 10, 30, 11. And Nana was there with, with Mary Jo. And... Uh, <clears throat> We were sitting there enjoying each other's company. And so help me, Mary Jo's priest walks in. And uh, he says, what have y'all got going? I said, well, we're, we're sitting here talking about the Lord and just talking about salvation. And I said, by the way, y'all know the next question. <laughs> how are you doing spiritually and he said well he said I'm uh, 
I'm all right. I said, do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus? He said, well, he said, you know, I believe that you need to, you need to be a good neighbor. You need to love people. You need to be obedient. You need to be <clears throat> in, I think you used the word church and mass, church and mass. And I said, I didn't call him father. I called him pastor. I said, well, pastor, you haven't answered my question. He said, well, he said, I'm just telling you, he said, that's where we're at. And I said, well, you know what the Bible teaches about sin. And you know what the Bible says about the wages of sin and that Christ died for all our sins and that if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord. <coughs> and so help me, the man never told me that he had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. So I said, okay, Pastor, you know what John 14, 6 says? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. I said, notice that. That's Jesus speaking. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I said, that's not through cutting somebody's grass, going to the nursing home. I said, through the Lord Jesus. And <clears throat> guess what that priest spoke on at Mary Jo's funeral, John 14, and the, the sixth verse there. And he, did, he, he really did a good job. And I, I appreciated that because, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry to say it, but they're blinded. They're blinded. He's leading a flock right there that he, they, don't, they, don't, they don't share the gospel. They read it, and that's it. I asked him, I said, Pastor, I've got one more question for you. I said, why do y'all not bring your Bibles to church? And he says, <clears throat> well, you know, he said, they get that from the pulpit. I said, from the pulpit? I said, he said, yeah, when we read the scriptures up there. I said, Pastor, I said, the Bible says that we're to study and show ourselves approved of God, a workman and not ashamed. And it just breaks my heart that they're leading a congregation and they're blinded from the Pope down. I'm, 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 I'm finishing. <laughs> from the Pope down. But again, thank you so much, Grace. I just love y'all and appreciate y'all so much. Thank you, Tony, and um, good morning. wanted to have all the children to come up front this morning, and uh, even if you feel you're older and you feel like a child, you can come up too, but I want all the kids to come right up here in front, and I want to talk to you for just a minute. Y'all might have to help me up. Come on, let's go. All you kiddos, get up here. Don't make me start calling you by name. I can do it. Y'all sit right down here in front where I can see you. Look at all these fine children we have here. Huh? 
Y'all look good. Do what? Yeah, I do. I have grandchildren out there. All right. Well, I want to talk to you guys just for a minute. All right. And I want to read a couple of verses to you. I want, I want to just tell you something. Do you know when I was a little boy, we used to sing this song, and it kind of goes like this, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Did you know that Jesus loves you? Yeah. That's what the Bible says. And he loves you so much that he died for you. Died for your sins. Mr. Tony was just talking about that a minute ago. And uh, I want you to know this morning that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That all of you are unique. Every single one of you are different. Now, if you look out in this audience, and I can look, and you, you can't really see all of them. They're all unique. Trust me. They're all unique. And they're all fearfully, and they're all wonderfully made. That's what the Bible says. Now, I want to read that to you. There's a scripture in Psalm 139. And this is what David says. Okay, listen to this. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You know who formed your inward parts? The Lord did. That's what he says. He says, You wove me in my mother's womb. And listen to what David says. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And did you know that's true for you? Not just David, but it's true for you. That God made you. And you're just like he wants you to be. Right? So you can be confident in that. I like to eat candy. Any of you like to eat candy? Yeah, you do. I'm going to tell you right now, if you come after church, right? I, know, I don't know if you have children's church today or not, but if you come after church today, Pastor Thad will give you a couple of these, but I want to show you something, all right? Because these are my favorite candies. They're called sprees. You know what sprees are? They're beautiful. Now listen. They're not exactly nutritious, but they're good. Now I want you to notice there's a red one. There's a yellow one. There's a purple one. There's a green one, and there's an orange one. Now, Pastor Thad's favorites are orange and purple. I mean, I love those orange and purple. But did you know that they're all sprees? That's what they're called. But they're all different colors. Well, when I think about how God made us, you know what? It's that song, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And that means he loves you. And you know, he loves everyone in here. He loves us so much, he went to the cross and he died for us. You know, the Bible says, though, that when he died, they put him in the tomb. And did he stay in that tomb? No. What happened? Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Right? Okay, so I want you to remember this as you get older, that you are special to the Lord, and that He made you. You are a unique person, all right? And you may be a yellow spree, or you may be a green spree, or a purple spree, or an orange spree, or a red spree, but God made you you. Don't ever forget that.
Okay? All right, let's pray together and thank the Lord. Father, this morning I want to thank you for these children. Lord, children, as you tell us in your word, are a gift to us. Many of us have children. Many of us have grandchildren. I pray that these children that are sitting here and the ones who are out in the audience would know above all that you love them. And that they would know that you love them so much. You came to the earth and you lived a perfect life and you died for them. Died for their sins. And you were buried but you rose again the third day. According to the Bible. And because of that we have hope. So I pray these children would come to a point in their life. Where they would come to understand the gospel. The good news. That Jesus died for their sins. And that by faith alone in Jesus alone. And paying for that sin. They can have everlasting life. Thank you that we're all unique. And that we've all been made different. But Lord we are all your creation. And for that we give you praise and glory. In Jesus name. Amen. Alright don't forget you can get some candy right after. Alright. If you'd like to. You can go back to your seats. <laughs> Just wrong. Amen. We are singing about and with the thought of Jesus Christ is our only hope in life and in death. We're going to sing a song right now, but many of you know this song. I'm not going to ask you to stand on it because some of you might, but next time you will. We're going to sing this song, but many of you know this, so I'm going to invite you to sing with us. A song called Hymn of Heaven. Sing with us if you know it. How I long to breathe the air of heaven. Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who glad to save me And walk with him for all eternity
going to sing the victory? Are we going to shout the victory? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We rejoice in the Lord today as we worship him. Thank you. You may be seated. The choir is going to sing a song right now. Just in way of an introduction to it, we are definitely singing about the hope that we have in Christ. I was on the way to church this morning, and normally I don't turn the radio on, but the radio was on, and there's a, there's a real estate show on or something. Anyway, they were interviewing a, a guy, and he was a UFC fighter. Uh, I forgot what UFC stands for. What is, what is that? Uh, but anyway, it's uh, ultimate fighting. Is that what it is, ultimate fighting? They get out there and beat each other to death. That's what they do, but uh, whatever it is. Sounds like, sounds like a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but he was talking, and they were um, – he was just talking about, you know, being a UFC fighter, and also I think he, I think he played for football down at University of Alabama or something. I don't know, but anyway, uh, he was just talking about his life in general. But what caught my attention, and while I was even listening to it, I don't even know. But he said something about. He said, "Well, he says what I want to do. He's 35 years old now. He said I want to make as much money as I possibly can." And I want to invest as much money as I possibly can. And then since it's a real estate show, he had to say, I need to buy some real estate. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, and then he says, then what I want to do is either continue to, continue to fight or I want to manage other fighters and help them to do the same thing. And I thought to myself, my, my, what kind of hope is that? That you're going to base your whole future, your whole life on nothing but making money, investing money, buying real estate, and helping other people do the same. My goodness, what? There is no hope in that. Maybe there's a hope so. <laughs> maybe I hope this will be good enough to get me into heaven. I hope maybe that's what he's thinking. But see, we don't have a hope so. We have a hope, a sure thing. A surefire thing, and that's in Christ Jesus. He's the one who provides us the hope that we have for heaven, for eternal life. In uh, one of the songs we're singing, I just noticed it right beforehand. It, it mentions the fact that, you know, our life doesn't really begin until eternity. Have you ever thought of that? I, I had not thought of that. But we were talking about that. Me and Van were talking this morning. And uh, I think it came, uh, came. It actually came up in last Thursday's elder meeting. And says, you know, we are created. We think we're created for this life now, but we're not. We're created for eternity. That's what. That's who God created us for. Is for his eternity. And our life doesn't really begin until eternity. We're just getting a little prelude right now. But it's only the hope in Jesus Christ is the only way we can know for sure that that's where we're going to spend eternity is with him. So here's a song right here. It says, Oh, my soul will rest in Jesus. I want you to listen to the words as they sing. Thank you. 
it was about 15 years ago, and I was coming out of the church at Springville Road, where our location was at the time, and um, I had a man who's probably 15 years my senior at the time, and he said, that I need to tell you something, and I said, okay, and I was probably in my late 30s, early 40s, and he said, um, churches change every 10 years significant, significantly. Every 10 years, churches change. He said, the guts tend to remain the same, but those on the periphery tend to move on, and you need to know that. And I walked away, and I was like, well, thank you for the encouragement. I really honestly didn't know what to think. I will say that that's been true. That churches do change every at least 10 years. And even the guts of it at times change. You have sometimes the departure of elders and deacons and... For a church, when there's departure, there's an uneasiness. And you feel like, what in the world is going on that could have been corrected or handled? One of the things that has been an encouragement to me over the years is, is that the elders have remained the same pretty much. It has changed in the last few years. We have had some, I call them newer elders because I have not served with them. But I have had the privilege over the last two or three years to serve with different elders that have not been on the elder board. And it's been tremendous to see how God brings these men in. You need to understand one thing, that elders should recognize elders. Biblically, I think there's great support for that. That elders recognize elders. You recognize those who are shepherding sheep. And you're just affirming their call. In the last five or so years, Brian Nichols has been added to the elder board. Tremendous addition to the elder board. In the last couple of years... John Burnett and Van Cook have been added to the elder board. We've been trying to get them on the elder board for a significant amount of time. One of the things you come to understand is that it's all the Lord's timing. It's His timing. And they add so much to that elder board. But I think it's important for you as a congregation to understand that elders will change over time. I am 58 and the second youngest elder on the elder board. Thank you for Brian. Elders at this church will change over the next 10 years. I was talking to someone just this last week, and 
as your church gets older, you bury more of your friends. And a lot of us have served together for a long time. And it is difficult to watch your friends suffer and go through hard things. But isn't it a blessing to know that when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be. And until then, can I tell you something? If you're in Christ today, you have abundant life. And in a sense, your abundant life, wouldn't we say, begins at the moment of salvation. Because you go from having no purpose to having an eternal purpose. I want to just spend about five minutes in review of last week. And we, as you know, we left off in the middle of a verse. That is something that happens to me more often than not. But I can tell you that it is the Spirit of God that leads me. So I believe that He wanted me to stop where I did last week and pick it up where we are this morning. I will say before we start that every single person in this room needs to be interested in this subject. For this reason, it's what God expects. God expects that His church would be led by elders and by deacons. And as we talked about last week, it's not just one man that leads a church. But it's a group of men, elders, that lead a church. And you know what we need to be praying for? That God will raise up leaders in the next five years and ten years that will lead this church spiritually. Because if you want this church to continue, then it will be all about the Lord. And it will be because he raises up men to shepherd this body. You need to understand that. That's very important. And I can promise you, as one of the elders, we are praying that God will raise up leaders in this church. That will shepherd the sheep. There is nothing more fantastic than doing that. Can we pray? Father, as we seek your guidance this morning, I pray that your spirit would lead our discussion. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Just by way of review, we are entitling this series, which is just two weeks, for elders, what God expects, but we will continue next week in looking at deacons. What does God expect? And we began with this, that God expects us to acknowledge and embrace that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That is a simple statement, but a profound one, because it is very essential that the elders support what God has said in his word so that the people will support what God says in his word. Because as go the leaders, so go the people. 
The Bible tells us that he's the head of the church. For the husband is the head of the wife. That's a position. Remember we said last week, the value of a husband and wife, the same. The responsibilities, the position in the home, different. We could do a whole series, could we not? On the importance of men, Christian men, being the head of their home. I don't know how popular this series would be. But nonetheless, it is biblical. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Christ is the head of the church. And so the elders should get their cues from what the Lord Jesus has already told us in his word about leadership. Colossians 1.18, the first part of the verse also tells us this, that he, Christ, is also the head of the body, the church. Remember the quote Jack Wellman had? We looked at briefly last week. Jesus is the head of the church. He's just acknowledging what Paul acknowledged in Ephesians and Colossians. And he writes this, which I really liked. He expects his body to cooperate. He's the head. So when you think of the head of the church, you don't need to think the elders. You need to think, first of all, Jesus Christ. He is the universal head of the church. And he expects his body, his entire body, to embrace that. He expects his entire body to cooperate with what God has already said concerning the church. And so we established from the very beginning that Jesus Christ is the head and that in this local assembly, our commitment is to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Last week, we took a look at verse 1, and that's where we are, because for you, on your handout, right, you should have the same handout. Did you know some of you forgot your handout? You know how I know? Because they were in the seats. I thought, well, at least none of them are shaped like a paper airplane, but you forgot them in your seats, and so we provided you copies if you did not get one from last week. And as you know, if uh, you were here last week, or you maybe had an opportunity to watch the service, since that point, our verse for consideration, outside of the qualifications, because you can read that sheet, and you can see the qualifications, and we'll do at the end a little summary of what you should, should see But verse 1 is a critical verse. It does not need to be left out. It needs to be thought through. And it needs to be thought through not only by the elders, but it needs to be thought through by the congregation. Because Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul, as he's writing here, is thinking not only about Timothy, but about those who would oversee the church at Ephesus. And so this is the verse. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, and that's kind of where we left off in that overseer piece, it is a fine work he desires to do. And so last week we said two things, but I wanted to remind you of something very critical. Desire, yes. There needs to be that intensity on the part of the man who seeks the office. 
but it's not devoid of the Spirit's leading. The Spirit of God is the one that leads and calls out these men. When Paul met the elders uh, in Miletus, the Ephesian elders, this verse tells us, as he's warning the Ephesian elders, he says, Be on guard for yourselves. He's speaking to the elders. First, he said, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which what? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's done that. So it's the Holy Spirit working in the lives of men, but it's the, it's the men who have the desire, the God-given desire to oversee or to shepherd or to be in a position of oversight. And notice the weight of the statement at the end of the verse, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The weight of shepherding the church is tied to the purchase of the church, which is by the Lord himself. So that's kind of where we left off last week. And I want to remind you just of three things that we covered before we get to what we want to deal with today. We said from chapter 3, verse 1, that the statement is reliable. It is true. Paul says it in the verse. And I told you, you remember last week, that it reminded me of the times when Jesus Christ in his ministry would say, truly, truly, I say to you. Verily, verily, I say to you. This is a true statement. One that's worthy of consideration over and over and over and over. And it's almost like you don't need to forget this. And we don't need to forget it. Because this gives to us a picture here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and in Titus 1, 5 through 9, a picture of the way God expects his church to function. There are to be elders. There are to be deacons, as we're going to see uh, next week together. Then we said... The must in the text is a hankering. Remember chapter 3, verse 1 is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to. That word can mean a hankering for. Remember we talked about food, right? Having a hankering for something that you really enjoy. I, I really enjoy red beans and rice. And so you know what I did the last couple of days? I worked on red beans and rice. I had a hankering for red beans and rice. And there is a pot at my house. I can't wait to get there this afternoon. And I'm going to oversee that pot. And I am going to eat those red beans and rice. And I hope my lovely wife will make cornbread to go with it. But there's this hankering or there's this desire that an elder should have. I believe a God-given desire to shepherd the church of God. And then we talked about the position being oversight. And that's where we kind of left off. Remember, we looked at that word uh, together. And the word overseer and it's the word episcope remember epi for emphasis and scope we get our english word scope from this so there's we talked about that we said there's there's this intense observation that goes on right by elders of the people and there's intense observation that goes on by the elders as it relates to prayer and to the word right there's this intense listening that takes place by the elders to who to the Holy Spirit of God and to the Word of God and to the people of God. You get that? That's where that oversight is to, to take place. And so I wanted to kind of look at that with you today 
to begin with is this issue of overseeing. What are elders overseeing? What in the world do they do? Do they come here just every two weeks and just sit in a room and look at each other and go, well, good evening and uh, let's talk about a few things we need to accomplish and go home? I can tell you that is not the way that those meetings function. We have time around prayer. We have time around the word. Very critical to the health of the elder body. And that's what you should expect. You should expect that your elders are spending time in prayer and that your elders are spending time in the Word of God. I believe there's a good example for us, and it is an example given to us in the book of Acts about the importance of prayer and the Word. I want you to go back with me to Acts chapter 6, and I want you to see something very critical that came up in the life of the apostles, which I believe sets for us a picture of what the elders are to be and what the elders are to give their attention to. In this particular context, I think we're going to see that the elders should, through the example of the apostles here, give attention to prayer and to the word. I want you to notice very carefully what chapter 6, verse 1 says. It says, now at this time. What time? What in the world's going on in the church? Well, we all know the church has already begun, right? Acts chapter 2. The church had begun. And did you know what was going on in the church? Growth. Numerical growth. He said, that's great and that's wonderful, and it is. Chapter 2, verse 41 says that when those had received the word, were baptized, there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and all God's people said, amen, that's wonderful. You want to see people come to Christ. Chapter 2, verse 47 The church was continuing to grow. He says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wouldn't we like to see that today? That's a question for answer. Yeah. And then, even in the midst of Peter and John suffering, you know what the Lord was doing? Adding to the church. Chapter 4, verse 4, But many of those who had heard the message believed, after Peter's sermon, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So you have, probably at this particular point, over 10,000 people who are a part of the church. And do you know what? It continued to grow. The Bible tells us, in chapter 5, verse 14. And this is after. This is interesting because it's in the midst of church discipline. <laughs> I mean, right? You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to the Spirit of God. And what happened? Dead. I believe it's an example for the church that God takes sin serious. Verse 14, right after that, the Bible says to us that fear, verse 11 in chapter 5, came over the whole church and over those who, all those who heard these things. 
Many wonders and signs were taking place by the hands of the apostles. Verse 14, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. There's a lot of people. We'll just throw out the number 15,000 to 20,000 people. God's church is growing. And guess what happens when there's growth? There's complaining. Can you imagine that? People of God complaining. Imagine what it must have been like to be Moses. Chapter 6, verse 1. At this time, at the time where the church is exploding, but there's suffering going on. There's a lot of growth. While the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic Jews were those Jews who adopted the Greek language. They adopted a lot of the Greek culture. But notice it says, increasing in number, a complaint arose. That word complaint, do you know it's used in Philippians, where Paul says, do everything without what? Grumbling and complaining. So this is a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And so the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, So they give information to the congregation. And here it is. It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. They're not just pushing off the issue. They're not saying, well, the issue doesn't exist. No, the issue existed. But what they're saying is, hey, there's a priority here. It's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, so he's talking to the assembly, the congregation. This is the part the congregation is involved in. He says, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. There's a lot to be done. We need godly men to do it. There needs to be oversight. There needs to be organization. Our attention needs to be given to the Word. But notice verse 4, it says, not just to the Word, but prayer. Look at this, verse 4. But we will, we meaning the apostles... We will devote ourselves to prayer and to what? The ministry of the Word. This is something that is important to say. It'll just be a simple reminder to you, but it is very critical. Prayer involves attention and prayer involves time. The Word involves attention, the study of it. The Word involves time. What do we need leadership in the church to do as it relates to elders? Spend time and give attention to prayer and to the Word. And that's what's being set forth here by the apostles in terms of leadership and in the importance of elders, I believe, in this example Elders, at least a picture of it, of what the elders or the leaders of the church are to do. And as we know, the apostles were 
leaders of the church. And it had come to a point where there was an issue they needed to handle, and they gave that to the congregation, and the congregation was to pray about that and to select seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit. In other words, those being led by the Spirit. So they could give their time, the apostles could, to prayer to ministry of the Word. I like the way he phrases that. He doesn't just say prayer and the Word. He says ministry of the Word. Service of the Word. You're serving the Word to people. We like to use food analogies, but the most important food we can gain on a regular basis is the Word of God. That's going to come best for you as your elders are studying faithfully the Word of God. So when we think about intense focus, we need our elders here at Grace to focus on the ministry of the Word. And as you know, many of them do that. We know one of the qualifications of elders is that they're apt to teach. And remember we said last week, I believe I mentioned this, you might have been yawning during the time, but I believe I mentioned this, that it is a qualification for the elders. They're apt to teach. But that teaching might be two people. It might not be 200. But they have a propensity, a great desire to want to be in the Word of God and to pass on the truth of God's word. And so you need them to do that. Um, there's another aspect of intense oversight that needs to take place, uh, and that is with the people. So there's prayer, there's the word, and there's people. That is you. You really need to, to listen up on this portion of it from 1 Peter chapter 5. So you can turn over in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to show you this. This is all it's important to know. And when he starts the, the uh, phrase out, therefore, that this particular instruction is given in the context of suffering that's taking place for Christ in the church. When there is suffering that takes place, isn't it nice to have people around that intentionally look at your life and care about your life? We had a testimony like that to start out our service today. Okay? That's the practical fleshing out. When people are suffering in the body of Christ, we all suffer. Yes? Yes. When people are rejoicing in the body of Christ, we are rejoicing. But as I have observed over the last 30 plus years, there are, there's a lot of different types, I will say, of suffering that goes on in the church. It's not necessarily just in one area. You think about suffering that takes place in families when there is, and it's a different type of suffering in the context maybe of 1 Peter 5, but when we see rebellious children, it's painful. Is it not? It's very painful. Painful to who? To everyone involved. Painful for the parents. Painful for the grandparents. Painful to the siblings. There's suffering in marriage. Pain in marriage. Difficulty in marriage. Can I just say as a side note that marriage is hard work. 
And all of you that are married, say, Amen. Amen. Right, dear? Or she already left. Hard work. <laughs> you know, it's, there's a similarity between, one similarity that the Lord's brought to my mind between the church and, and marriage. If you're going to shepherd, it takes time. Takes attention in order to do it well. If you're going to have a healthy marriage, it takes attention and it takes time and it takes commitment. And even in the midst of hardship, guess what? God is there. He's there. So this is all in the context of suffering for Christ. Notice what he says, therefore. I exhort the elders among you, so they're among them, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. You have people among you, shepherd them. We're going to look at what that means in just a moment. But I want to read these and I want to just give you brief definitions to some of this. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. That word there in the Greek means by force. Not in an unwilling manner. It's not like, oh, I've got to go shepherd these people. I can tell you with all honesty that I've grunted a few times. Ugh, because I'm tired sometimes. I'm human. But I love shepherding the church of God. It's what God's called me to do. But it's not only what God's called me to do. There are several shepherds that are here in your midst today. So it's not under compulsion, but voluntarily. And that word means willingly or of one's own free will. According to the will of God and not for sordid gain. Now I want you to listen to this. That means not for greed. There's no greed in this. And it's not that you might gain notoriety. That's part of the definition. It's not, I'm an elder of the church. Notice me, look at me. No, it's not that at all. The attention is to the Lord. The Lord is the chief shepherd, as Peter says. And so the under-shepherds are simply, hopefully, functioning in the same with the same capacity as the Lord Jesus in terms of being uh, attentive and understanding and being involved in the midst of people's lives, willingly doing so. And he even says with eagerness, which is in the Greek language meaning a proper passion. There's a passion to want to do that. I remember when I was ordained into the ministry, 1993, that was a few years ago. And I remember my ordination weekend. And I remember how special that was for me. And I remember I could invite anyone I wanted to to speak at my ordination. And I brought in a man who worked with me when I was a 16-year-old boy. His name was Jim Pence. And he came and he spoke. And I thought, good, he's going to speak to the congregation when he comes about what they need to do with me. He's going to set them straight. 
You know what he did? He walked from behind the pulpit and he looked right at me and he said, Thad, this message is for you today. They just happened to be here. And he talked about the heart of a shepherd and the involvement that you would have in a person's life. And it's been amazing. I, I have so many illustrations of just sitting with people when people are going through pain and through suffering and hardship. And several times when I was younger in the ministry thinking, I had to say just the right things. As I got older, I was like, no. No, that's not how it works. There's lots of times I don't know what to say. I can't tell you how many times I've stood over a hospital bed and said, Father, I don't know what to say. But I know that you're here with us. And I know you love these people. And I know they love you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You don't always know what to say as a shepherd. Might I encourage the shepherds, you don't always have to say something. I remember one time approaching a lady who was losing her husband. And she was about 43 years old and he was about the same age. I remember walking into the hospital and I was like, Lord, I don't don't know what to say. I just walked in the room and I said, I just stopped by to tell you I love you. And I'm praying for you. And I left. Sometimes as shepherds, we don't know what to say. But we shepherd. And we do so eagerly. With a proper passion. But notice the last part of the verse. He says, Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. That means exercising them in appropriate control. Not lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. The Apostle Paul put himself out there in 1 Corinthians 11 when he said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Same picture here. We're examples to the flock. We're to imitate Jesus Christ. He is the one that we're to look to as shepherds. Mark Dever... Well, I'm sorry. First, there's a quote here. In Help's Word Study, this author writes about shepherding. I'm going to read part of it to you from my notes. But notice what he says. Shepherding focuses on tending the flock, which includes guarding, guiding, and folding the flock. Now, the guarding and the guiding you might get. The folding you may full know. Full well know, but listen to what folding meant. Folding the flock, and I just love this imagery. Folding the flock was an activity of the shepherd every night. Every night. He counted each one and made sure they were all in the fold. Safe and secure from any predators. A shepherd would often sleep in the opening of the fold 
to protect his sheep. Wow. Every night, counting the sheep. Every night, aware of the sheep. It didn't necessarily remind me of men. It kind of reminded me of women when it comes to their children. You know how women are when it comes to their children. Is my baby okay? Is my baby okay? And you think, well, that'll stop when they get to be teenagers. Is my baby okay? You say, well, it'll stop when they're in their 20s. I wonder if my baby's okay. This is like, whoa, this never stops. I thought, you know what? It never stops for a shepherd of the Lord either. Does it? It's every day. Every day. Paul's got one more thing he tells us in that verse. That the oversight is laborious. The word that he uses here when he says it is a fine work he desires to do. He uses the word ergon. And it has the meaning of physical labor. It's intense. Did you know that in a four-year period of time, an Olympic athlete will train about 10,000 hours? Did you know that? I didn't know that. And I was thinking, well, what's the big deal? 10,000 hours in four years? Ah, plenty of hours. Well, in a year, there is 8,760 hours. So you think about that times four, and then you think about how many hours are devoted each year for an Olympic athlete, which rounds up to about 2,500 hours a year that he spends. Did you know that a swimmer will train anywhere from 6 to 12 miles a day as they work out? There's a commitment level that's above and beyond. And we say, how in the world do these athletes get to the point where they're renowned worldwide? That's how. They work. And they work and they work and they work. And that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd labors and he labors and he labors and he labors. Mark Dever says about this. He says, the work of eldering, so he calls it a work. It is. The work of eldering is as repetitive, repetitive and daily as walking the flock to a fresh field for grazing. It is compared to making daily meals or taking the kids to school. It's something that's over and over and over and over again. Listen to me. You want shepherds in your life. You need them. You need them. They need you. You need them. All the time. I want to leave you with some practical things to think about. As it relates to elders. The first was, why you need elders? The Bible says so. Is that alright? The Bible says you do. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, you have Paul and Barnabas at the end of the first missionary journey. And they're going back to the cities they had been at. And part of the activity was... They were appointing elders in each city. To do what? To give oversight to the church. Why? Because the church needs oversight. As Paul writes to Titus, he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, 
that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And so we need elders because the Bible says so. Secondly, we need elders because the role they play is critical to the body. It's critical to the body. And you know, as well as I do, you could go out there, just go down this street, and you're going to have different philosophy of ministry as it relates to leadership. Not every church has elders. A lot of times, as we talked about last week, briefly, there is a pastor and or deacons or elders. There's not necessarily uh, just elders with a pastor. So you have a lot of different setups. As you drive down the road, you'd be introduced to them. Um, you need teachers of the truth. Ch- Titus chapter 1 verse 9 tells us. Uh, they not only teach the truth, but they pray with the flock. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 tells us that the activity of the early church, they prayed together. J- James chapter 5 verse 14 talks about a member or members praying with the elders of the church. And there are times for that. There's guarding the flock. How imperative is that in our culture today? There's so much non-truth out there. It's imperative that shepherds guard the flock of the Lord. And then the last one, uh, that they would keep watch over, they keep watch over the souls of the flock. That's why they're critical to the flock. This particular verse here in Hebrews, I think, is one of the key components in the New Testament as it relates to elders and the congregation. Notice what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? If it just said obey your leaders and submit to them, there might be a, your shoulders might go to, Ugh. But the author tells us why. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they. Who's they? The leaders, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will what? Give an account. Every elder in this building will give an account to the Lord. Every deacon in this building will give an account to the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. I don't know how they hear that, but that's just the truth. So we're held accountable. In fact... We also know that teachers incur a stricter judgment according to the word, and every elder is a teacher. Every elder will be judged according to what he said. That just brings fear and trembling. Let them do this. Look at this part. Let them, who? The leaders, do this, what? Watch over your souls with what? Joy. Not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for who? You. So I asked the question, what brings grief? Sin. When sheep walk off the road, it's difficult for the shepherds. Can I tell you that? I'm just shooting straight with you. When you have a sheep wandering away from the fold, you've got to go after that sheep. And can I tell you something? They're not always willing to listen. 
And if you've been in this church for a good period of time, you understand that we have had, over the years, sheep that have wandered. And I believe, with the help of the Lord, have we done perfectly in that? No. But with the Lord's help, we have gone after the sheep. And you know what's hard to hear? I'll just give you a general statement. It's hard to hear from the sheep that you approach, I don't want to hear that. You know, that's hard to hear. It's hard to hear, no matter what you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. You say, you've heard that? I've heard that. I've had them yell at me, not just me. I've had conversations with people where I have actually told them, I know for a fact that you know what God wants. And they've looked at me and said, yeah, but I'm not going to do it. You say, that, what does that do to you? It grieves me. It grieves me. And but for the grace of God, I'm that wandering sheep. Are you listening? How many examples could we cite of leaders that have wandered off the path? So we all need accountability. We all need it. That's why I believe the Lord put it in place just like he did. It's not just one shepherd. It's multiple shepherds under the chief shepherd. Almost done. I don't think I have enough red beans and rice for everyone. What should you expect slash need godly character? If I'm summarizing 1 Timothy 3, you need examples. That's what you need. That's what we all need. Aren't you thankful we have some of that in Scripture? You need men who are spiritually mature because you need guidance and you need wisdom. By the way, the elders are not devoid of these needs. Doctrinal integrity. You need truth, not error. There's plenty of error. Just watch the TV or listen and you'll hear it. Because it's true that people... As Paul warned Timothy, want their ears tickled. And what, who wouldn't want to hear health, wealth, and prosperity theology? Sounds good. But I've always wondered, I'm like, if you got that whole health thing going on, go empty those hospitals. Doctrinal integrity, you need truth, not error. Sound teachers, you need the word taught. Book studies are fine. Outside books, outside research, they're fine. So I want you to hear this right. But there's nothing like the Word of God. There's no replacement. Fifth, caring shepherds. You need leaders who genuinely care. Who are in your space that truly care about what's going on in your life. Kent Hughes, who was the former pastor of the college church in Wheaton, Boy, I thought he had an excellent way for us to end this morning. This is what he said. 
it is a sobering fact that as goes the leadership, so goes the church. With some common sense qualifications, it is an axiom that what we are as leaders in microcosm, the congregation will become in macrocosm as the years go by. Of course, there are always individual exceptions, he writes. But it is generally true that if the leadership is word-centered, the church will be word-centered. If the leadership is mission-minded, which it is, and might I just give a brief commercial, we need younger people to have that mission mind. Is that okay to say? Because that needs to continue. Remember in the very beginning I said leadership will change as years go by. Well, these things shouldn't change. Leaders should be word-centered, mission-minded. Why? Because the Lord is. Church will be mission-minded if the leadership is mission-minded. And then he ends with this. If the leadership is sincere, the people will be sincere. You know what we heard at the beginning of the service? This man right here, Tony Cooey who needed ministry from the body of Christ. And he just didn't get it from the leadership. He got it from the congregation. But I believe he got it from the congregation because I do believe the leaders here at Grace care. They love you. And so as the Lord, I'll close with this, as the Lord directs you and guides you, you pray about those men that you already see shepherding as you nominate and the elders will look at that and pray faithfully about what God wants us to do. Might I just say what's going to take place next week? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, but I'm also going to talk about deacons next week. And I'm going to have the deacons serve the Lord's Supper next week, just the deacons. And I'm looking forward to that because I believe that's something they do. And you have a wonderful, wonderful group of deacons who serve here at this church. And so I trust you're praying about all this. I know that maybe these subjects you're like, yeah, that just happens. But it doesn't just happen. God puts, has his hands all over this. And he uses his people as we consider the leadership. So you pray about how the Lord might direct you as we move forward and seeing who is going to be raised up in these next years to come. All right, let's pray uh, together. Father, the subject matter is serious because you have dictated it as such. That what the apostles took on, the work that was going on in the church, the salvation of all those people. And all of a sudden, they have this problem on their hands. It's a good problem. But it was a problem. And the apostles knew they couldn't forfeit the time they needed around prayer and the word. And Lord, I pray that as the elders of grace function that our priorities would remain prayer and the word, 
and shepherding the people that you've entrusted us with. Thank you so much for the men that I'm allowed to serve with. And I pray that we would be faithful, faithful shepherds in shepherding the church and never forget that indeed you, Lord, are the chief shepherd and we need to align ourselves right under you. And so all this I pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. To close the service this, this morning, uh, a couple of songs came to mind, but this one definitely came to mind. It says, oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Better put the armor on because when we walk out that door, Satan's waiting on us. And we better do it. So let's all stand and let's sing, O Church, Arise. O Church, Arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our Captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong. In the strength that God has given With shield of faith and belt of truth We'll stand against the devil's lies An army bold whose battle cry is love Reaching out to those in darkness Our call to war Love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor, and with the sword that make the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure, and Christ will have the prize for he died an inheritance of nations come see the cross where love and mercy meet as the son of God is stricken then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet for the conqueror has risen and has the stone rolled away and Christ emerges from the grave the victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see him so spirit come put strength in every stride give grace for every we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful as saints of old still line the way retelling triumphs of his grace we hear their calls and hunger for the day when when Christ we stand in
Aren't you glad the Lord is forgiving? Say, Pat, where's that going? I'll tell you. There was one that walked with our Lord who was a leader. And he denied the Lord three times. And what did the Lord do? Not only did he forgive him, but he gave him primary responsibility as the church would start in Acts 2. And he would shepherd. And that's what he was told to do. So, I'm thankful for the Lord's forgiveness. And I'm thankful that he is a God who loves his people. And loved his people so much that he put in place a structure. So that we could function healthy together. Thank you so much for being here today. It was great to see you. Kids, look how proud to put an age on it. Come get your sprees if you'd like some. All right? You are dismissed.